Now, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 29. So I've been going through the Old Testament again, and it's been wonderful getting into the scriptures because there are these reoccurring themes that that pop up over and over and over again. And some of the things that I've been noticing as I've gone through the scriptures or identified are things like this, like the selfishness of people. You look at Adam and Eve and what they wanted to do and wanted to live autonomously from God. You look at Noah and his day and age. You look at Abram and his selfishness. But then you also look at the other part of it. The other thing that sticks out is the long-suffering graciousness and the love of God despite man's selfishness. The provision of his atonement for Adam and Eve, the 120 years of grace while Noah built the ark, and, and as well as Abraham taking into account um, his calling, the calling of Abram and the establishing of a nation through him. The third thing that sticks out to me as I've been going through the Old Testament is the faithfulness of God to his word and to his people. He is a God who keeps his promises and follows through on seeing that word come to pass. Now, the last couple of weeks, I mean, we had our our brother Bob Mendelssohn share last week, but the two weeks before that, we were looking at lessons from Noah, lessons from various people in the Bible. And today I want us to look at a lesson from one of the women of the Bible, which I think is really, really interesting and prayerfully very applicable to us as well, because this woman goes through a lot. She knows about rejection. She knows about competitiveness. She knows about being used. And while uh, the journey for her might seem from our perspective as unfair, the lessons we can draw from her life, or more importantly, from what God teaches her in her life, prayerfully are just as applicable to us today. So if you're going to bow your heads, we'll open a word of prayer and we'll look at the scriptures together. Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing within this church, for what you are doing corporately and what you are doing individually for each family, for each individual that comes here. We pray now, Lord, as we look into your word, that by your spirit, you will teach us, that you will show us more of yourself and that you might take our focus off ourselves and off our circumstances and place them upon you the author and perfecter of our faith. Please give us a clarity of vision to behold the sheer majesty of your person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hands up those of you who have ever been picked last for a team. You know when you have the two captains and you get lined up against the wall, it's really, it's really sort of uncomfortable. I've been picked last as well. I mean, it's not the nicest of situations while you're standing against the wall and you see the strongest players get picked first because they're the ones they really want to have on their team. And then as the numbers dwindle down, you're left at the end and you're like, wow. And then when you finally do get picked, you don't get picked because you have anything of value to offer the game. You get picked because you're there to make up the numbers. And so when you get picked, you do your best not to stuff things up while you play. It's not the best feeling to have, but imagine this. Imagine that you are Leah. Imagine you are a woman, and the only way that you can be married off is by manipulation and deception. In Genesis 29, we read how Jacob works for Laban. Um, 
Yeah, Jacob works for Laban for seven years to win his daughter Rachel's hand in marriage. It's a task that he willingly receives. He, he, he's like, he's got his, his eyes on the goal. And we even read in verse 20 of chapter 29 that Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Wow, how romantic. This is a classic case of when you understand the reason why, then the what becomes irrelevant. When you know why you want to do something, then it doesn't matter. You'll put up whatever it is that you have to do to complete it. So after seven years, when he goes to the tent, believing Rachel to be there, he discovers after the consummation of the marriage that it was not Rachel he was married to, but the sister Leah. Laban strikes up another seven-year deal. And says, okay, if you want my hand, he uses the excuse, look, it's, it's our custom that the older daughter gets married first. If you would like to marry Rachel, then you're going to have to work another seven years. And so because of Jacob's desire to be with the woman of his dreams, he works another seven years. Jacob, the supplanter, Jacob, the manipulator, Jacob, the deceiver, was himself deceived, was himself. I guess you could say the player got played. That's what happened to him. What he was doing got turned back on him. So now, after seven years, he finally gets the hand of Rachel in marriage, and this man now has two wives. If things weren't weird enough, weird enough already, he now has two wives. Now, Tim Keller gives a wonderful explanation as to why, you know, when you read in the Bible, people have so many wives. And why it's still actually recorded in the Bible, Tim Keller makes the comment, God left it in the Bible not to show or not to promote or say, yes, this is the way things should be done, but rather the failure of such things. God reveals what happens when you get married to when basically your flesh takes control and you desire things for yourself and you see all the damage that is done. And we see what takes place in these marriages when they have more than one wife. Now, reading from Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 to 30, 31 to 35. Follow along with me. I'm reading from my large print CSB Bible. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has seen my affliction Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, The Lord heard that I am unloved and has given me a son, or this son also. She named him Simeon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, At last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore, he was named Levi. And she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children. Now, you're probably wondering what a weird passage to look at today. But I pray that as we look at Leah's life and rather what God does through Leah's life is actually apply or draw from it truths that apply to whatever circumstances, whatever condition, whatever things, trials, obstacles that we might be facing today. 
The first is this, in verse 31, that of being seen. Being seen. We read in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. She'd been married seven years to Jacob. And I can only imagine how difficult it would have been for her. This was a marriage of convenience for Laban. This was a marriage through lies for Jacob and a marriage of lovelessness for Leah. Knowing she was unwanted, knowing she was unloved, knowing that she wasn't even a second choice, she wasn't even a choice, Knowing that she was just there to make up the numbers must have been to her heartbreaking. In this loveless marriage, in this position of being unloved, which can take the form of many things, in one such case, it can take the form of not being seen, being viewed as less than or not being viewed at all. And it's in this situation we read these two wonderful, wonderful truths. One, the Lord saw. The Lord saw her in her lovelessness. The Lord saw her in her need, and the Lord knew what that situation was. The Lord knew that she was unloved. And it is here we see some of the most beautiful truths in Scripture, that she is seen, that God sees her. And you read all throughout Scripture, he is the God who sees. You look at Hagar's proclamation in Genesis chapter 16. We read this. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's in verse 13 of chapter 16. We have David's acknowledgement in Psalm 33. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Verse 13 of Psalm 33. Or Jeremiah's lamentation over Jerusalem in Lamentations 3. We read, my eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. He is the God who sees, and he sees clearly. He sees more than what a person says or does. He sees more than the experiences or the limitations that people hold to. He sees more than the hurts and the disappointments that we commit or that we might be the recipient of. He sees us like he sees Leah through the loving eyes of a father heart. Because I want you to take note of this. Leah doesn't say anything to God. Leah doesn't cry out. Leah is in this circumstance and God sees her. God sees her without her making any acknowledgement at all. He takes the initiative. He reaches out. He shows his love by seeing her. He sees people searching for life's answers. He sees people seeking fulfillment. He sees people longing for purpose. Like Leah, he sees people wanting to love and be loved, but not how the world defines it. 
not how the world, but how God reveals it in Jesus Christ. He sees and he meets that need in Christ. And you see this in John chapter 4 with the story of the Samaritan woman. The Lord Jesus saw more than a Samaritan woman, more than her reputation, more than her geographical location, more than her gender, more than her theology. He saw a woman in need of forgiveness. He saw a woman in need of acceptance by God. A woman in need of newness in life. In other words, a woman in need of Jesus. Bob Mendelssohn, and if you've had the chance to read that little biography, a $5 biography that Bob Mendelssohn sold last week, I read it. It takes about five minutes to read. But there was this really good line in there. He said this, because he used this phrase last week. He used the phrase that he was longing for meaning and relevance. And that's why he was a hippie with his, his fro and all that sort of stuff. And he talked about that. But when, when Marva shared the gospel with him, this is the quote that I liked. It. Bob Mendelssohn in his biography had this line. I did not need meaning and relevance. I needed and longed for forgiveness. Forgiveness of my sin. Forgiveness of that which kept me separated from God. Forgiveness which kept me apart from Jesus Christ. That's what Bob Mendelssohn saw. And so the God who saw Bob, the God who saw Jeremiah lament, the God who saw David sing and Hagar proclaim, is the God who saw Leah's broken heart. It is the same God who sees you and me too. Regardless of our context, Just like he saw Leah's specific need, he sees our specific need as well. And you know what our primary specific need is? Our primary specific need is to have our sin forgiven and be made right with God. That is our primary specific need. Which means this, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the first need that he desires to meet. That you would repent of your sin, turn to him, and ask him for forgiveness. And even as his child, he sees our situation now. He sees our dryness. He sees our apathy. He sees our going through the motion. He sees that at times we may feel unloved. He may, we may feel that, but that feeling of being unloved is not what governs his heart toward us. His heart toward us is expressed in the sacrifice of Christ for you and I that we might become children or the righteousness of God in him. So he sees, and what is of note is how he meets that need. He sees her need and then meets that need. And in meeting that need, he ultimately reveals her significance as well. Because it was through Leah that the Messiah would come her fourth son, Judah. That's who the Messiah would come through. While her husband looked to the love for another or of another, while using Leah for his own physical pleasure, the Lord saw her, the Lord acknowledged her, and the Lord blessed her. In this instance, opening her womb and allowing her to bear a child. In verse 32, we read, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery Surely my husband will love me now. In being unloved, she was seen. If not by her husband, 
If, yeah, and being alive, she is seen. If not by her husband, she is seen by God. And for all of us, that is one of the greatest honors that be bestowed upon us that gives you and I significance to our existence, that we are seen. That when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, how you read about how Christ died according to the Scripture, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Then we read all of that in 1 Corinthians 15, that's expression of how we have been seen by him and what he has done to meet our need, our need for forgiveness, our need for renewal, our need for regeneration. In the person of Jesus, our lives gain significance. And while though at times we may feel unloved, we may feel unaccepted, we may feel unwanted, how we feel doesn't determine the biblical facts that God the Father sees me, that God the Son loves me, and that God the Spirit seals me. That alone shows we are significant to the Lord. Being seen. Everyone say that. One, two, three, go. Well, thanks, thanks, Alyssa. To say two words, and Alyssa got it wrong. Okay, all right, there we go. I've got another two words for you. Not only is the expression here as being seen, it is that of being heard. In verse 33, it appears that for Leah, her value to Jacob is the ability to bear him children. She was betting on the birth of her first child, Reuben, which means behold a son, may have caused a change in his attitude toward her from Jacob. Surely my husband will love me now, was her thought. That's what she says in verse 32. But we read in verse 33 that not much had changed. Because in verse 33 it says, She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Simeon means to hear or to listen, which is an appropriate description of how God was inclining his ear to this unloved daughter. I remember the old saying, children are to be seen and not heard. It's an old saying, even when I was a kid. So when I was young, I remember hearing that from my uncles and aunts. Children are to be seen and not heard, which is not the best advice to follow, really. The harsh reality that I learned is that if your children can't approach you as parents, if children can't feel safe and secure in their own home, if they can't open up and tell you their problems, then like me, they'll go to someone else for the answers. They'll go to a friend, they'll go to a teacher, they'll go to somebody online, which is really dangerous. But we read time and time again how the Lord would be listening and hearing the affliction of his people. When they cried out in oppression, the Lord heard their cry. In 2 Samuel 22 verse 7, it says this, In my distress, I called the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. What a great verse. When they cried out in their bondage in Egypt, the Lord heard their cry. Exodus 3, 7, he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. When they cried out in repentance, the Lord heard their cry. Like in Psalm 6, 9, the Lord has heard my cry. We heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. In, the, in Leah's effort to be loved, the Lord blessed her with the unconditional love of a child. Thus, Simeon is that evidence that she is loved, not only by her sons, but by her heavenly father too. Now, if you were to, ta- if you were to stop, take a moment, and look at the greatness of God's love for you right now. How, 
how can you gauge the greatness of God's love for you right now? To, as the old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, or sorry, um, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. How, because of Jesus, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That because of Jesus, God has loved you with an everlasting love and drawn us with unfailing kindness, Jeremiah 31.3. And that because of Jesus, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, John 16.23. One of the worst sights to see is a child talking to their parent and their parent feigning interest while they spend their time stuck to a screen in their hand. Or while they brush them aside to watch a television show. Or while they ignore them or dismiss them because they just can't be bothered at the time. My wife and I have a rule in our household that when we're out, when we're out as a family, no devices. Nobody's allowed on their phone. Nobody's allowed to sit down. You sit down and you talk. I still remember one time we were at a restaurant where I was there with my tribe of children. And, and, and we looked over and we saw a family. Like everybody, everybody in the restaurant was on their devices except this other table. This other table was there. It was, it was I assume, just two kids and their parents. And they're sitting down there talking, laughing, eating. And I was watching them and I thought, that's really cool. My wife says, look at that. And I said, that's so cool. It was really neat to see that. And so we were eating, laughing, doing our thing. Then when I went to go and pay for our food, um, I said to the, the mum, and I said, can I just say it was really nice to see a family not actually on their devices and actually interacting. And she said, we were thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> and I was like, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay, but that, that's, that's the reality. That's the reality. Yeah, <laughs> high five. High five, good parenting. Yeah, okay, sorry. But that's, that's the reality. thing is this, our God inclines his ear to us. He ever has his open ear inclined to you and I regardless of the need that we might be facing, that when we cry out, he hears us. That when we ask for help, he hears us. That when we praise him, he hears us. We have a God who is not an absent father. We have a God that is directly connected with us and it desires to be involved with us. That is amazing. You know why? Because he loves us. And because that love is expressed in being seen, because that love is expressed in being heard, that love gives us cause to be hopeful. Being hopeful. In verse 34, we read how she is still clinging to this thread of hope that she will be loved by her husband. Again, she conceived, we read in verse 34, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him, and he was named Levi. See this longing. Levi means joined in harmony. Perhaps it was her longing for her and Jacob and the three boys to be one big happy family. The love most probably flowed from her son Reuben, the reminder that God saw her. The love probably flowed from Simeon to remind her that God heard her. Now the love was probably flowing from Levi, and she named him Levi, so there might be a harmony not only between her and the boys, but between her and her husband. 
But here is the lesson that the Lord taught me through my wife and prayerfully a lesson that you will take heed to and live out as well. And it's this that I draw from Leah. If your contentment in life, if your happiness in your role, if the value and mean of your existence is connected to the love of that specific person or the purchase of that specific house or the recognition of that specific promotion, if you link the amount of money you have or status you gain or the privileges granted outside of God or apart from Jesus Christ, then you'll be like Leah here, hopeful but always let down. Hopeful because you invest in things that are like sinking sand. Hopeful, but ultimately leaves you empty and without anything else. That's what's happening here. It was my wife who said to me, she said to me this, and I quote, if I am looking to you for my security, if I'm looking to you for my fulfillment, if I am looking to you for my happiness, I will always be let down. That's what she said to me. Then she said this, I must first find my contentment and my fulfillment in Christ, for in him I will never be disappointed. That's the reality of it. Leah is looking for her fulfillment, her contentment, her value, her worth, and how her husband views her. And she's always let down. She thinks, I'll get him a son. Nothing changes. I'll get him another son. Nothing changes. I'll get him a third son. Nothing changes. She's hopeful, but nothing changes because she's looking to a man to give her something that only God can give. How well does that reflect the attitude of the world today? How does that reflect the attitude of Christians today? That we spend all our time looking for those other things outside of Christ to give us fulfillment and value and worth and ultimately be left frustrated because it doesn't meet our expectations. That's the reality layer displays to us here. You see, if you and I don't go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, if you and I don't build our lives, our families, our careers, our futures on the foundation that no man can lay, which is Jesus Christ, then our lives will not stand in the storms of life when the storms hit. And they will hit. You and I will be like the foolish builder that built his house upon the sand in Matthew 7. It may go up quickly. It may look good. It may appear as if, it, as if it'll stand up, but once the trials come, and they will come, once the hardships hit, and they will hit, then that storm will reveal what our foundation really is, whether it's on the rock of Jesus Christ or on the sand of our own making. When I look and I see many Christians that I know who are no longer walking with Jesus, New Zealand and here, when I see God's children prioritizing things that I know biblically are in direct contradiction to God's word and to God's heart, this shows me that they are choosing to build their life on things other than Jesus. That's all that shows. Something of their own making, something of their own doing to provide them with some sort of security, but it has no eternal value. But it is from here, from this point, we go to the next stage of Leah's search for acknowledgement. And this is, I think, her growth, her maturing after having disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, not with her children, but with what she was hoping that would come about from her having kids to Jacob. We read her being thankful. 
in verse 35, we read this. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, look at the change of tone here. Look at the change of words. This time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This time, I will praise the Lord. The conclusion she reaches four children later is that of praise. She has had four children and is the fourth one through whom the Messiah would come. And the lesson she learns is that of praise. There is power in praise, for praise takes the focus off the situation. Praise takes the focus off the disappointment. Praise takes the focus off others and places it on the Lord. There is power in praise. In the hardship of complete loss and the grief of the complete unknown, like Job, we can have and hold to this acknowledgement in Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. In 2 Samuel 22, we have David's song of triumph and exaltation and praise. A beautiful psalm that ends in the following manner. The Lord lives, praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my savior. Verse 48, he is the God who avenges me who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord. Among the nations, I will sing praises of your name. Verses 47 to 50 of 2 Samuel 22. So we have one where one experienced complete loss, one where one experienced complete victory, and then you have the lamentation of Jeremiah for his words, to, for his words as well. As judgment falls upon Jerusalem, as judgment falls upon Judah, Jeremiah 23, we read this. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues my life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Jeremiah 20 verse 13. To quote the psalmist, it's to help with us refocusing. Help with us refocusing on who is really important. Of what we have with him as being the major priority we have to have in our lives. We read, thus we look at the example of Leah. And the lesson we learn is not to look at human relationship for fulfillment. Because it's easy to be looked over or to be completely ignored by others, to be unseen. The lesson is not to rely on people and for them to be attentive to our cries, as more often than not, people are dealing with their own stuff. People are more concerned with what's going on in their lives to, to pay heed to anyone else. The lesson is not to have our hope in the ever changing circumstances of the environments we find ourselves in. You know what the lesson of Leah is? That whole idea of, of being seen, of being heard, of being hopeful, of being thankful, that while we may not be seen, God sees us. And while we may not be heard, God hears us. And while we can take confidence and where we can take confidence and our hope is in Him because our hope is anchored in the God of hope. 
that we can praise the Lord because we are seen, we are heard, we have hope because we are solid to the end in Christ. Because he is faithful that promised, making him, because of Jesus, worthy of our thanks, worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. This is the lesson of Leah. It's all about changing where we look, taking our focus off ourselves and upon him who loved us and gave himself for us. For he alone is worthy of our praise. So we're not going to close in a song today. What I would like to do, though, um, while we close in prayer here and we sort of go offline, I would like people here to pray for each other. Just to pray for each other. Whatever the situation is that you're going through, like Leah, you may feel unloved, you may feel unrecognized, you may feel down and down, you may feel isolated and alone. But you're not. You're seen by God, you're heard by God, you can have hope because he is the God of hope, and we can give him thanks as we will praise him for what he has done. So I'm going to close in prayer. After I close in prayer, I would like people here before you leave to pray for other people, please. So if just like to be outstanding, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we are thankful. We are thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life, in whom we have forgiveness, in whom we have renewal. We are so humbled by the fact that you love us, that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you so much for the love that you see us in the darkest of times. You hear us when we cry out, that we can be hopeful because you are the God of hope. And Father, you are worthy of all praise, and therefore we give you thanks for allowing us to speak to you in this way. Whatever situations we're going through at the moment, Lord, I pray that you will show us, that you will speak to us, that you will reveal to us the greatness of your involvement with us. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves, to refocus them on, upon you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We need you so much. Please help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.